0: Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show, presented by any question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just recorded a really open, wonderful conversation with Jodie Kahnemar, previously Jodie Swallow, before she married James Kahnemar. And Jodie is one of the most remarkable athletes of the last 20 years, uh, three-time world champion, Olympian, and a host of other victories and, and podiums around the world. She really specialized in the longer races uh, as she got older and further into her career. But she was an absolute talent in her youth and was sort of went to the Olympic Games in 2004 for Britain at a very young age. But in this episode, she really talks openly about many of the struggles she had, you know, from eating disorders and expectations after winning so much as a youth and then dealing with becoming a senior athlete and every, all the expectations that went with it. But I think you'll get a lot out of this one. I, I truly enjoyed this conversation. And you can also find Jody on any question. Uh, so jo- Jody Kanamar on any question. She's already answered 141 questions, but you can go ask her questions there. She's really fantastic at getting back to any questions you might have. So go check it out. Any question on iOS or Android, go check it out. But really, I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today I'm joined by one of the most remarkable triathletes ever to do the sport, British Olympian and three-time world champion. In 2010, she won the 70.3 Ironman World Championships. And in 2009, and then again, seven years later in 2016, she won the ITU World Long Course Championships. Add to that a multiple of just Ironman wins and 15 70.3 victories. And it just truly is a remarkable resume. She transitioned from professional athlete to become a mother of three and a coach and mentor to numerous athletes through Kanemar Coaching. It's an honor and just an absolute privilege to have her join me on the show because I know her time is precious with the three little ones. So welcome and thank you for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show, Jodie Kahnema, formerly Swallow. How are you?
1: Hi, Greg. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I don't really recognise that person you just introduced. Um, (laughs) She sounds quite good at triathlon, but I I can't really remember who she is. But yeah, I'm good in this, this second life that I'm having right now.
0: Yeah, it's been a whirlwind, huh? Like just going, Laura and I always talk Talk about, you know, we got the two little ones and it's like, you almost forget the person beforehand, uh, before who you were. But how does it feel to have that read back to you and go, oh yeah, there is that. Other life I kind of had before being a mother?
1: It makes me very proud because it's very easily forgotten um, in the midst of every day at the moment. Mm. I mean, I'd love my kids to sort of know what that meant in years to come, but at the moment, they're only they're only interested in me being a mother to them. So it is a bit removed, but I am kind of in the circles in terms of and I'm very up to date mm. with Um, professional racing and stuff I coach a few pros and um, I'm very on it with that so I definitely think I'll come back to the sport and kind of reignite what I learned a bit more than I do currently but that's in the future and at the moment it's all still in the depths of three under four year olds because <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. you got the the twins right so you got what are the ages um jack is
1: four and johnny and jade are two going on 13 yeah <laughs> going on 13
0: when we heard you guys because you got the same age kids as us then but when you you guys had the twins and um, we were Laura and I like whoa we just can't get our heads around it like how did how did you operate it how have you guys been able to do it I'm, I'm
1: just... So it's funny, some people come up to you and, and they say, oh, wow, I always dreamt about having twins. That's just amazing. You're so lucky. And I just don't say anything. I just kind of, (laughs) (laughs) um, because I never dreamt about having twins. I wanted two kids. I come from a two kid family. And um, when we heard about the twins and that I was pregnant with twins, I didn't enjoy the whole thing. I was like um, Mm. stressed that I'd lose one of them or something would go wrong, having had a couple of miscarriages before that. And um, it's been incredibly tough, but there's moments now where their twinness comes to life. Mm. And, um, over the past year, really, we've, we actually emigrated in the meanwhile, we had COVID, my husband retired from professional sport, took on a full-time job. Mm. So there's been so much change and we've just been living in this, like, it's like a crazy whirlwind of, of just disarray. Um, we've got nothing organized. Everything's changed. Our lives are completely different from what they were. We emigrated one year ago, almost to the week. So it's been absolutely insane, but what keeps us grounded throughout the whole process is our interest in triathlon to be honest and and mm. and remaining physically healthy and also these three wonderful little dynamite bombs we've
0: got yeah of course and look they, they give you great perspective on life as a whole for sure but you know with, with the three and, and James and you both being you know former professional triathletes and James was phenomenal in his own right. And I've got to have him on the show. I remember, I think the last time we reached was maybe Eagleman or somewhere like that, but great athlete, but transitioning from professional racing, you know, and for you, and I look at your resume, you know, you were still winning major races. I think your last major win was Ironman South Africa, 70.3 in January of 2017. And 2016 was an incredible year with you know, Long Course Worlds win and Ironman Cans and a whole plethora of 70.3s. So you were, when you guys kind of decided to have the kids, it was, you were really coming off peak, peak form. You know, what was that transition like and was it planned or did it just sort of happen?
1: It was most definitely planned. I'd been, um, I just recently went on holiday to a former coach's place and the wife of, um, it was Richard Hobson's wife said to me, you know, I remember seeing you in 2000 and." 14 in Kona when you you came forth Mm. and you were so happy but you just said to me you're so lucky daughter you've got two kids you're so lucky Mm. I mean I don't remember that moment but I do know that I had a young nephew at the time and I think I was very my my heart was kind of turning towards having kids and you know I've been in the sport since the year 2000 Mm. I've ringed it for everything I can get out of it basically Mm. Um, I've done the best performances I I could have done I I think in the end took me a long time to get there but I got there in the end and um I think it was time to to change I did think that I would come back racing after Jack Mm -hmm. and then didn't because the reality of what our lives were like in terms of having a professional triathlete husband in South Africa as well was quite quite a revelation to me um probably not to anyone else but to me who was so sort of uh I guess I'm just very one one one-way street focused and determined in what I believe Mm. and I until I experienced something, I wasn't aware of how different it would be. I basically lost the drive to want to win. Um, and mm. I didn't believe I could be as good as I was before Jack. And so then it was a case of, oh, maybe I would be after a second baby. Mm. <laughs> so let's try and have a second baby. And I, I did, I was pregnant within 10 months of having Jack and, and lost that pregnancy. But everything with me is so fast and like impatient. And um, (laughs) and I think that, yeah, so, so from, from being at the, going back to your question from being the height of my career and it was the height in terms of financially exposure um, and consistency and happiness, basically it all went into this kind of pregnancy journey and then recovering from pregnancy journey and then being pregnant again. Yeah, I mean, that only stopped a couple of years ago. So it to me, it feels like a, a lifetime ago, but it actually isn't in terms of years.
0: You, you don't realise what you're getting into because your body goes through a lot of changes, obviously, but then just all the hormone differences. And so who you were before, you know, having kids, you change completely. It's not just, oh, I'm going to just flick the switch and be who I was before. It's like, no, you're a different person. Your bo- no, because, yeah. Uh,
1: If I'm absolutely honest, um, like my drive to to leave the baby was just not there. I didn't want to.
0: Laura was the same. Laura was exactly the same.
1: And I felt like, I mean, I blamed it on breastfeeding and I had to be there for him to be breastfeeding. So I would jump off the turbo and go back and um, breastfeed him. back to sleep or whatever in naps but actually in truth my focus and love and care had changed and I I couldn't have gone back to racing with that in mind given how absolutely like determined and dedicated I was beforehand I mean I wasn't someone that dipped in and dipped out I was like all in or nothing I guess I went all in with the kids and my career had to had to stop it Mm. it was simple as that
0: what's more difficult Three kids under three. Well, now they're three kids under four, but, or, um, being a professional athlete.
1: I think that's a really difficult question. (laughs) I, um, what I go through now is, is difficult in terms of, um, logistics in terms of, I'm not looking after myself. I'm looking after other people and therefore Mm. I, I take more, um, more pride in the decisions that I make um I'm accountable and I was accountable in racing but I was only accountable to myself primarily and then sponsors and and partners and Mm. and my team behind that but it it's different when you're governing lives basically and and futures and you can take it too seriously and I'm aware that I'm quite intense with it all um (laughs) especially because they're so young but I do believe that these early years are really important and um you know I, I i go through so many conversations with myself whether i should have gone back into um triathlon to get the last couple of years if i should go into other careers um you know work full-time i've i've had a few opportunities to go for jobs like that and um i always come down to no the kids aren't ready no the kids aren't ready but everyone else's kids are ready so what's wrong with me
0: no but, no no no, um,
1: no everyone parents differently and everyone's Um, decisions are based on different things and I think that I have to come to the conclusion that yeah my parenting style doesn't cater for that at the moment and it's just going to have to wait Um, and it's I've got this dichotomy of personality where um, it doesn't sit absolutely great but I'm happy to be here for the kids and, and that we have such a great relationship. But yeah, in, in answer to the question, I think this is more difficult.
0: Oh, yeah. I, it's funny. I feel like I'm actually having a conversation with Laura right now because, <laughs> you know, she she, like you, decided no, this, these early years I want to be there and I want to be there as much as I can and that's my choice and everybody can have their own choices but she's like you and she wants to do it the best she can or the best she knows how anyway. I think everybody's just got to tread their own paths and whatever feels right for you is right.
1: Yeah, it's a really privileged situation to be in as well given that we can do it without me working yes, right now. So yes. um, not everybody's in the same situation and and the career – you know the, the type of career that we were both in both me and Laura it's maybe it had to be picked up or trans um completely transformed anyway in the future and so maybe the break in the middle is more you know it, it's more easy to take
0: I'm not sure enough about the about the kids because I want to move on and celebrate some of you you your career because it is phenomenal and I It's one of my favorite things to do is to have these conversations with athletes that were absolutely remarkable in sort of the years gone by. Because there's a lot of people that listen to this show that might've only come into the sport in this last couple of years. And I want to highlight people that I think brought the sport to where it is today and pushed the boundaries from where they were. And you're definitely one of those people. So I'd like to yeah shift the gear and move on to your career. And and the first thing, and, and if I believe you've listened to the show before, just tell me how you sort of found the sport of triathlon and, and how did that passion grow?
1: Well, I was a, a young swimmer at primary school age. I was going to um, swim practice before school, even at the age of kind of eight. I've got an older sister, so I did everything that she mm. she did and she was a couple of years ahead of me, but I quickly caught up those lost meters I guess and I was on par with her so very competitive from a very young age I went to uh, a normal school in England that you know a comprehensive school but that comprehensive school was quite tailored towards sport Mm. and they had a good running cross-country set up there um, I'd done a district cross-country at primary school and, and done very well. But it was something that I I requested, that I, I wanted to go to an athletics club. I wanted to join the cross-country club. I requested that <laughs> of my parents and they took me. When I got there, they, they had me doing long jump and discus throwing. And I said to my dad, dad, I don't want to do this. I want to do endurance training this is at the age of like 10 11 um so okay so I went to the sprints coach they didn't have an endurance coach I had a sprints coach and he set up a little endurance eight 200s kind of session for me and my sister and we and and the group grew everyone was a bit older we were actually training with a sub ten and a half hundred meter runner wow. not not incredibly ap- appropriate you know like but <laughs> but quite, you know, quite a legend. This guy was sponsored by Puma and he'd raced for England and it was, you know, weird times, but in, in some way we kind of, we created something that wasn't there out of um, our desire to just do endurance sport. And I'm not really sure what my aim was for it. I just was really loved training for it. Mm. But that was something that went on. And I went to pre- represent, first of all, Wales and swimming, which is a bit weird, but I'm half Welsh, so... Okay, but then
0: I, I was going to say, why is that weird? <laughs> yeah, a
1: bit weird, but I, I duly dumped them when I qualified for England um, yeah, in right. a very, not very graceful fashion, I guess. Is that how it is in
0: the UK? If, if you could race for England, you would over Wales? I don't know the what it's like.
1: Um, well, yes, because I was English, I was born in England. Oh,
0: okay, so you felt more English more than anything else. Yeah, but yeah, the Wales yeah.
1: system, looking now as a coach, is incredibly look, sort of... Refined, Um, they had a bit more funding, the the country smaller, and I had really good times with the Welsh team and and exposure, you know, Mm. at the age of 13 going on um, international trips with kind of 16, 17-year-olds. So that was a good part of my childhood and um, something that sport provided me that I would never have got this sort of massive independence Mm. away from basically inner city life in London (laughs) and then I also ran so I was first national schools I I won all the county stuff off a couple of runs a week I qualified for the England team when I was 13 so second year senior school and it just went from there I did athletics I did running and that was my before school after school mid school and weekends um, every my whole school career.
0: So you're running and swimming or both or do you just pick running for a while
1: No, both. Both, both um absolutely, but no no association between the two coaches
0: yeah, or yeah. um wow.
1: or, or races. I, in fact, I sometimes did like national cross country in the morning and then would zoom down to the um Southern County swim champs and race there and usually do a PB. It was a really weird amazing time um, <laughs> of development, but I just loved racing and yeah. was And I also did all the strokes. So I was in like 12 races um, over the weekend of a swim meet. I learned how to race. Mm. I think that probably was my forte in the whole of everybody says I was a great trainer, but actually in terms of knowing how to race, I learned that from those early years. I did very well at school um, just from the discipline that those things taught me. I didn't try that hard, but I kind of got the exam results. So, um, I was offered a place at Bath University or Loughborough University and the Bath offer was higher, but I took the Loughborough one, um, because my dad went to Loughborough and there's this whole, um, <laughs> this whole history of Loughborough, you know, Seb Co kind of legacy. Um, oh, did Seb Coe I, go to Loughborough
0: as well, did he? He did, yeah. Wow. He did, yeah. Okay, that's He was really coached
1: cool. by, um, the legendary George Gandhi there, um, these things that like I read in books and athletics weekly as I was growing up. And I, I just wanted a part of it. So I went to Loughborough and Julie got glandular fever. I'd been on a camp, a English camp for the English swim team. And I was trying to run as well when I was there. And we did, I think we did 120,000 meters in one week for two weeks in a row. Whoa. Yeah. And I was, K. Tra- I was trying to run as well. Yeah. 120k. Yeah. Oh it was, gosh. um, it was in Florida with, um, a swimmer called Brooke Bennett's, um, coach. Mm. Um, I guess it was just a test of endurance and trying to like test all our, our, our kind of resolve. Um, but I was also running or trying to run after the second swim practice every day. And I just hit a hole and I couldn't get out of bed and I was diagnosed with glandular fever. Everything went to pot and, um, this was just before I went to university. So, yeah, so how
0: old are you? You were 17, 18 then?
1: Yeah, so 18. Yeah. Yeah. And when I went to Loughborough, I was still in the swim program, but not performing at, you know, a a top national level. I would probably make the end of the final, but it wasn't in contention. Yeah, it just didn't pan out. I discovered a bit of a social life and. Um I developed an eating disorder as well while this is all going on I probably as a reaction of not mm. winning everything
0: well it's also when you get so run down, your hormones are all off, and all yeah, of a sudden your thyroid's not working, so now you're hungry all the time, and then you feel like you're putting on weight, so then you it's like a vicious cycle and you end up you know
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i was I was a young i a young athlete i hadn't gone through puberty, and that was a it hit about the same time
0: oh man, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: and so I was in this like. This melee basically, um, which seems like a, a current theme going through my life, but it was a bit, a bit rubbish to be honest. But I did enjoy the first term at university. And then I decided that the swim program wasn't working very well. I was losing too much weight. And the swim coach said, You're losing too much weight. I can't have you come to swim practice anymore. This isn't healthy. And so I decided to go running again just to kind of keep my fitness up, keep my. Brain active and their swim coach, while we were having these conversations, shared an office with the newly appointed, um, performance, um, junior performance guy for British Triathlon. He messaged me and I went to see him and he said, Well, you're not in the swim program anymore. Do you want to try triathlon? And it it went from there. His name was Dan Salcedo, Mm -hmm. he still works in British Triathlon, and that was it. I, um, I raced that summer.
0: The recruiting program from the British in the sport of triathlon has been absolutely outstanding, hasn't it? I mean you think of yourself and I, I've had several British athletes on this show and the amount of them that have said, and I'm sorry, I can't remember names, but you could probably help me. But they said, yeah, I was recruited, you know, into triathlon from so-and-so at Loughborough University or at Bath or at an event. It really, they identify very well who would fit very well in the sport of triathlon. Do you think that's been a good program?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that um, it's very induced by the university. So maybe you go to a sports, you're usually going to apply for a sports course or a physio course or a human Mm -hmm. biology course. And then you're going to go to Loughborough university and you have this like it's cross sports. So it's not, um, they're not fighting each other. Definitely not. And they talk to each other, the coaches within the arena. So that would become a real good thing for triathlon because they can therefore talk to the swim program coaches, identify people that have been good swim runners, which there will be many of mm. um, coming to Loughborough University. And they don't even have to be the best swim runners, they just have to be decent at that level 18, 19 year olds. Um, and so, and you're there anyway, you're in the program. And I think that's a really good way to recoup recruit you've already got the skills of swimming and running and then you're going to go and learn cycling afterwards and that's kind of the traditional way that that it's happened um but there are people that are now coming through that have done triathlon from a very young age and kind of Learned triathlon. Yeah. I, I still don't think that the swim run background pedigree has gone away. It's still there. It's um, there's loads of us. Vicky Holland did exactly the same. That was as me. it.
0: Vicky Holland. Yes, yes. I'm sorry, Holly- Vicky. Oh. Vicky, I should remember. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, yeah, somebody had the same kind of story. So yeah. Yeah,
1: she was exactly the same. People involved, um, and yeah, same recruitment process really. Um, and it wasn't actually like a recruitment process. It was actually just exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, an opportunity taken at the right time. I mean, nobody phoned me up given my, off my prospectus on my UCAS application. I mean, you send a whole blurb about yourself mm-hmm. and it was quite obvious that I would have been a really good triathlete, but I wasn't recruited on that basis and I wasn't offered a place at university on that basis. That was my swimming pedigree that I was offered a, a place mm-hmm. at university. It was just the the real fortunate situation that happened, and life's like that, isn't it? There's all these opportunities that can or or might not happen. That one
0: happened. So tell me about that then. So you've you've looked into triathlon. Was was that... An immediate oh, I got this, you know, when, when do you sort of identify that I've got some ability here? Did it, was it an easy switchover for you? And and I guess on that, going back to what you said earlier, you know, you'd struggled with, you know, going through puberty, having a bit of an eating disorder and, and mono or glandular fever, all of those things had happened at that 17, 18 years of age and then you found triathlon. Was that refreshing or, or how did that work? Yeah,
1: it was definitely refreshing. I'm not going to say it was perfect. I mm. I still had an eating disorder for five years after that on and off. Mm. It certainly didn't cure and it wasn't addressed, but it did provide me some kind of boost to my self-esteem that had always been, it was self-perpetuated that it had always been from winning. So although I enjoyed the process of training, I valued myself off the medals that I won mm. because mm. they were always so fluid and like so it, kind of exceptional when you're in the paper and everyone's assembly talking about you, although I didn't realize it, it was actually like the backbone to my Mm self-esteem. And so it was kind of like a mask actually, um, because I was also, I mean, I qualified for the British junior team in the first triathlon I ever did. I came second up the Windsor triathlon in 2000. Mm -hmm. And I went to that race and I got dropped on the bike. A girl called Henrietta Freeman won. But I, I swam away from everyone. I just went biking on my own. She went past me, but other than that, I, you know, and I, I ran the fastest run split. And I watched this senior race, which was the Olympic trials with um, Annalise Hurd and Tim mm. Don. And these are people that I didn't really know, but I knew that they were the best in England. I thought, you know what, I could probably be up there. Mm-hmm. And this was in my second triathlon I'd ever done, and I probably wasn't wrong. So I had this kind of like, I was revived, but actually not that educated in triathlon. And the things that it's not actually the performance that like Tim Don is producing at the Windsor Tri. Mm. It's actually the lessons that he's learned in triathlon to get there that I'm missing here. It definitely, I think that It almost killed the first part of my career, not understanding and not having a mentor to show me that that is really, really important.
0: It's fascinating to hear because I think you and I are a bit similar like that, that you you valued yourself on... Your, your performances and that's where you saw your only value. And so when they weren't coming, it's like, well, then your value is down and you, you're skipping right over that part of the process where the process is and the journey is where the, the true joy is and, and the outcome. And I didn't learn that until probably the second half of my career. When did you sort of transition from finding your value through just winning to sort of acknowledging, hey, it's about the journey and the process and I, I am a good person?
1: Um, I'm not sure that I've fully done it. Um, I think that when I met James, my husband, Mm. everything changed a little bit. And certainly when I went, I made the decision to leave the federation system Mm. due to a a few things actually outside the federation, not due to them, but um, personal circumstances outside of that. I went to a coach called Brett Sutton and it was there, um, ironically, given some of the things that people say about him as a coach, but it was there that I found a Little bit more self worth, other than my performances, and um, it yeah, it was quite interesting that it happened in a very high performance setup.
0: Mm-hmm. What year did you and James start dating when we got together?
1: We met in 2010, in Singapore, and um, we both came second in the 70.3. there. this is before I entered Brett's team, mm-hmm. but we didn't know that we met because it was in drugs testing and he was, <laughs> and Craig Alexander was there.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and he was only interested in Craig Alexander and <laughs> he didn't speak to me. So um, I just saw this good looking guy and I thought, oh, he's good looking. Oh, he came second. Wow, that's it. Move on. And then I met him again the following summer when I turned up in Lays um in two thousand. So that was 2009, we met, and 2010, I met him in Switzerland. And he said, Oh, we have met. I'm like, mm, You didn't give that much impression, to be honest, when I met you. <laughs>
0: Oh, so, that's yeah, great. So yeah, we met there. Oh, see, you've got that hanging over him now for the rest of his life. <laughs> Poor bugger. <laughs>
1: he was just, he was obsessed by Craig Alexander. <laughs> oh, <who wouldn't
0: laughs> I still am obsessed with Craig Alexander and, and listeners of this show are all nodding their heads going, yes, I am too. And in fact, I had him just back on the show last week again with Simon Whitfield, um, but he is one of my all-time favorite people. So I, I get it. I get it. But then again, if I've got a beautiful woman sitting across from me and I'm in drug testing, I don't know, James. I think you screwed up, buddy.
1: Well, he oh, he got there in the end. It he was got all there right in the end. I, I got- was probably a bit sweaty and stinky at that point <laughs> um, and totally uninterested in relationships as well. So um, we were both just come out of long-term yeah. relationships and weren't interested like that. Um, and we actually, we didn't date. We knew each other for nine months before we dated. So um, we, we kind of established a friendship. And I think that was really, really important for me in that time of my life to understand that someone actually really quite liked me as mm. a person mm. rather than as a female mm. because, yeah, people with low self-esteem like myself um, base things off the wrong things sometimes and don't really understand what other people base mm. um, base likes and why somebody would like you other than that you're good at something, that you're successful or what you look like. So for, to have someone pay an interest in you outside of that was, and actually admire you for the, for the work that you're putting in, in mm. triathlon, mm. It was quite good. And I, I actually, not just James, most of that squad were a bit like that and, um, and Brett was a bit like that too.
0: It's empowering, isn't it, when people can recognise you for more than the obvious. In fact, Laura and I play this this strengths game where every couple of years we sit down and we we tell each other what their strengths are because we're all quite good at pointing out each other's problems and issues and weaknesses. But rarely do we sit down with our loved one and and those close and, and really point out and say, you know, your strengths are this. And I remember actually, if I go back to 2019, sorry to make this about myself for a moment, but Laura pointed out, you know, she said, Greg, you know, the obvious things like, Greg, you're disciplined and you're dedicated and and you dream big and a couple of those. But she also said, you know, you love a conversation and, and you're very curious. And that was actually the catalyst to start this podcast. And had she not probably fueled me with that and given me that kind of like, actually, yeah, I am. And okay, thank you. You know, I may not have ever started this show, which has been extraordinary for me. So that that's a thing that I encourage a lot of couples to do every now and then. You don't have to do it very often, but actually take the time to really think about what that person's strengths are. And it's amazing how valued you feel just to be that recognized.
1: Yeah. I think as well, like you don't often see outside the box, um, mm. the things that you're you just think I'm this, I'm that, especially success in sport kind of drives that. But there are other parameters to characters, of course there are, and they're also like change over time. So it is, I mean, we've never done that. Maybe we should do that more. Maybe we'd have less arguments.
0: (laughs) It's not easy with three kids and everything going on in life. Maybe wait a few months or something, I don't know.
1: (laughs) You're very good at getting up at 2am and you're very good at getting up at 4 a.m. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but no. um, I think that it is really important to to understand that strength of character comes in all different forms, and um, to have someone to highlight it and not be embarrassed by it, which I would be, like mortified, um, would
0: be a really good strength to have. No, well, I can point out a couple of yours already just from our half-hour conversation that. Please don't. (laughs) No, no. I, I think you're incredibly authentic, and there's a real strength about you in the sense that you allow yourself to be vulnerable. And that is not easy for a lot of people to be able to do, to be able to explain, look, I'm not perfect. And these are my areas that I, I struggle with. For people to admit that and, and talk about it as openly as you is a, is a real strength.
1: So Greg, that was not my strength when I in the first 10 years of my career. Well, there
0: you go. There you go. Through through failure and learning, you, you've, it was, you've...
1: It's through experience that, that, exactly. that came. Yeah. And people have said that I'm very authentic and very honest and I don't I didn't do it on purpose, but um, when I I left an abusive relationship in 2009, mm. and and also with bulimia as well, both both worlds are quite um, closed, and you can't really be honest, and you can't really communicate outside that circle because there's untruths and misconceptions about and there's manipulation going on and so you can't actually be that honest in friendships in relationships outside of that and I think that once I'd left that it opened up a whole world where I could actually be me and if I wasn't me what was the point Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like a concerted effort it just happened and it just comes through in all in all areas of of what I do. In my racing, it was a bit like that too. It was all very, you know, down the line, quite quite clear um, to everyone what this person's about. I
0: I think some of our greatest strengths come from when we've had some of our hardest times, you know, and it's like that's where you you, you bring this resilient attitude of, you know, bring on the failure, bring on the tough times because I know that's when I'm actually going to learn the most about myself. And then you're in a position to be able to, help and mentor others that might be going through the same kind of experiences that that you went through. So I think it's fantastic that you went through those, that you recognize them and you're on the other end and you're able to help mentor some young athletes and professional athletes and coach them to be able to have that in in your tool belt is, is really really fantastic. We were we were talking about you finding, you know, your strengths in triathlon. Was there a point then where you said, okay, this is what I want to do and, and I'm going to jump all in?
1: Not really, no. I, I won European champs in my second race that I ever did. It was against a, a young Nicola Spirig. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and then um, that was it. I was on program, as to, so to speak, and, and then go on to World Juniors um, where I came third, which was a massive failure,
0: <laughs> um, which year was that? What was um,
1: that? Was two thousand and one? That was oh in Edmonton um, in Edmonton, that, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, which Nicola won actually? Um, but there was just I I just never had this kind of like good um, perspective. So Nicola Spirig is one of the greatest of all time in in triathlon now.
0: Easily, but yeah.
1: I just thought I was rubbish for coming third to her. Wow! I just didn't have this kind of like regulation that I needed. Everything was just too harsh on myself going through those years. And and I think it was because I didn't understand the sport that well. I didn't understand the personnel in the sport. I didn't understand the histories. You know, I would speak to people and they would reel off who'd won Kona. I didn't even know what Kona was. I didn't know what the distances involved. I I was still basically a swimmer runner athletics that's what I watched on telly that's what I was really interested in and I was in this triathlon world where I was judging myself against some of the greatest of all time but not really understanding that it takes time to get there and and I just wanted it all too quickly Mm. and I just didn't do the right things or didn't take up the right opportunities of learning that I should have done and I didn't resolve the eating disorder And that, that meant that I could never, so I had all the talent in the world, but I could never put together enough training without getting injured or psychologically off the wall or something like that to, to come through with the result that I could actually produce. And that's really sad to me. And I see that as a real sadness in my ITU career that I didn't ever learn how to resolve that and create a team around myself that would that would help me get over
0: that a quick mini break to remind you to go check out any question you can download it on ios or android any question one word and you can find jody on there she'll answer your questions she's already answered so many and there's a multitude of other athletes and professors and all sorts of people on there that you can ask questions and listen to their answers that are already there It's fascinating to to look at talented youth as, as you were with the running and the swimming and the national titles and national teams and and worlds and everything else and then seeing that almost that that much talent almost be somewhat of a curse then, you know, as you transition out of those years and you go into full-time professional sport, which for a lot of kids would be an ultimate dream and here you are but there's almost this enormous expectation that you now have on yourself to constantly deliver and perform, you know. And did you – you, your family life at home, were, you, uh, were your parents supportive and, and how, how was that to manage all of it?
1: Yes. So at this time I was at university. Yeah. So I would go off and I would go and do like London Triathlon and Windsor Triathlon and I'd race like the seniors, like Michelle, Dylan and mm-hmm. um, Julie Dibbons around at that time and I'd win. So therefore, I therefore thought that when I went to from junior to senior level um, the following year, um, 2002, I should win. But I didn't kind of work out that there was a difference between those kind of where there wasn't a big depth of field mm. to go into like the international where there was Barb Lindquist and um, Loretta harrott would go off the front and that I couldn't just do that. I had to learn how to do it. I didn't get it. Um, My family life, they were always a bit um, cagey around the whole thing, given my history of eating disorder. Mm. So they didn't want to say the wrong thing. They didn't want to put the pressure in the wrong place. They obviously completely supported me through my young swimming, running career. But I guess they kind of thought, we don't want to just scar her self-esteem more by putting Mm, too much mm. emphasis on this triathlon so it's kind of this weird horrible um balance that they had to try and strike and sometimes I would take that as not being interested and sometimes I would take it as just I wasn't good enough to talk about basically so Mm. um it's really hard for parents of athletes in general not just young athletes but all athletes I think to be able to Um, know the process and say the right thing. I almost think it's an education program in itself.
0: For sure. I I think I was terrible to my parents now that I look back when I was definitely younger. Um, When I got older, I think they, they let me alone and it was all fine. But I was struggling with my own expectations and temperament and everything going into events and and then they got to kind of deal with it. Did you ever work with like a a mental performance coach or sports psychologist in your career? I
1: did in swimming and I did visualisation and things like that. When everything was simple, I was really up for things like that. But when... I was very aware that there were other things in my life that it wasn't the 1% that I had to work on. It was the whole background of where I was training from. So I had, I was put in the working and training, mm. and I was all in with triathlon, so to speak. But I had this like 40% grayness behind me that was completely unstable. My eating, um, my relationship um, from th- 2006, I feel like it would have been weird to like then concentrate on visualization and this without actually talking about the real issues yeah and I wasn't willing to do that and and nobody really pushed it
0: um you know I had um Seth Pepper on the podcast a few weeks ago and his he's a he's a mental performance coach and it actually is far less about how I would have called you know like you said visualization and word affirmations and all that trying to find that 1% and the way he operates is actually more from the holistic view of, you know, better life, better performance type mindset. You know, if you can structure your life that in your relationships and, and you as a whole person, you'll have better performances. And, um, and, and that's why I see a lot in the youth and the professional athletes of today, compared to, you know, 20 years ago and 30 years ago where it was a little bit more like we were bullet a gate, you know, we just, we go as hard as we can and, you know, we visualize amazing things, but it really wasn't, I think these days you see a far more rounded approach and a holistic approach to sport and there's a healthiness component that I almost think we looked at, well, I did anyway, (laughs) as a little bit weak and now I see tremendous strength in these sort of programs that a lot of them have. Do you see the yeah, same? Yeah,
1: I absolutely agree with that. I mean, it, I mean I'm mean, i completely demonstrative of that, where I find happiness in my relationship, stability in my training environment, and everything just escalates, So I'm mm-hmm. winning everything. Mm-hmm. I think Vicky was actually the same in her interview. Um, Vicky Holland was yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. And I, I just think that, yeah, it's quite hard to address from a coaching point of view. Mm. Um, but it's actually essential. It's actually part of coaching to understand that there's this outside life that you're not in, you only see the athletes for, I don't know, four, five, six hours or not, maybe not at all online, um, a day, but they have this life for 24 hours a day. And if they're doing the right things for six hours a day, that's great, but it's not about that. It's about the other 18 hours Mm. that could potentially be going wrong And, and you can't be controlling about it. And you can't be manipulative about it. But I do think you have to um, acknowledge it Mm -hmm. and and try and just be there to help. And I don't know if anybody really did that after Athens that I was, I, um, there was a mess about the Athens qualification and I got injured um, and raced injured at the Athens Olympic games. And I think that they kind of gave up on me on that and they just sort of tried to push it aside and, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm quite um, invigorated about coaching and about mentorship and actually getting back involved with developing athletes is because I want to stop that happening again to someone else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a very niche, um, circumstance, but it's really important that that doesn't happen to, um, people going on and on and on. And I, I don't think it was deliberate. I don't think it was, um, even, kind of acknowledged at the time but I see it now as I look back looking at a 23 year old um that's been injured at the Olympic Games um just been just kind of forgotten that there's any talent there I think that's difficult for anybody let alone somebody with a history of what I had
0: oh you you see it constantly where they're they're looking for the new flavor they're looking for the new who's the new athlete on the scene. And I struggle with that a lot throughout my career as well. It's like I remember I was in Athens as well with you and at the time I was thirty two. So I was the old, old man. Nobody was meant to be going to the Olympics at thirty-two and and they were constantly looking for who's the who's the next one, who's the next one. And yet honestly, if I look at my own career, my best years were probably from, you know, thirty to 40. It really wasn't about my, my 20s at all. And not to say that some athletes aren't when you look at the Brownleys and other people that are phenomenal in their 20s, but it's interesting. I think federations and team selectors, they do get caught up going, okay, we got, we got to keep finding the new one. Who's going to be the new one, the, the new breakthrough. Um, and that does make you feel like, hang on, I'm still doing all right. What? what, what huh? So I love the fact that you, you're you now into mentoring and coaching and I want to go into that in a moment but before we do tell me about the highest high of your career you know your professional career is there one moment that stands out above all others?
1: Yes um, I think I won the world 70.3 champs in 2010 Mm. and um, it was a I ran, I I rode a road bike. I'd been in Thailand previously. So I'd flown across the world over time zones. I'd actually been on antibiotics the week before. It was absolutely a complete shock to everyone except potentially my coach. And it was absolutely great. I mean, I didn't have any, I hadn't had family there, but I had friends there and I celebrated and it was fun, fun, fun. But that isn't the highest point of my career. The highest point is when I came second in 2014. Mm. Um, because the 2010 kind of happened as a surprise. The 2014 was something I worked towards and produced the best performance I possibly could on the day against the best competitors. And I, I everyone's like, oh, you won it, then 2014 must have been a failure coming second. But actually, absolutely not. I think the 2014 year in general, um, when I was coached by Siri Lindley was the highlight of my career, mm. um, because everything came together, um, consistently and repetitively and my life and happiness was right there. I think that that was the highlight.
0: I love that. I, and I, and by the way, that second seconded Ironman, um, 70.3 world champs was right behind Daniela Riff um, and you gave her a really g- great close race. And Daniela, as we all know, is probably arguably in that conversation of greatest of all time as well, <laughs> along with the other Swiss miss, you know, Nicholas Spirig, And there's, there's a few of them from Switzerland that seem to be amazing. And looking at that year, you know, You had several wins when you look at the 70.3s in Boulder and South Africa and so many podiums. And when you have those consistent years and you keep turning up and you're in a happy place, that's amazing. And I forgot that you worked with Siri Lindley, who is just one of my all-time faves and was on the show quite a while ago now. I need to have her back on. And I can imagine the environment and the training environment with her was something that you needed at that point in your career?
1: Yeah, it was, Um, it was something really different, but it was definitely a different stimulus and a different focus. And I think if you're in a place where you can expose yourself to all these great coaches that do things differently, Mm -hmm. it was just the right time. Um, It was the right time for her to work with me and it was the right time for me to work with her. And it was only for like a year and a half, but it was really good Mm -hmm. while it lasted. Yeah, I just have happy memories of training with that particular group. Siri's wife, Keat, was one of my best friends on Brett Sutton's squad. Mm -hmm. And she was just like having a friend around all the time, as well as a training partner, and constantly affirmations about my ability. And I I don't think I'd been exposed to that before. Mm. Like this constant positivity and this constant – and it wasn't – it was very real, but very, dare I say, American, um, cause, cause being British, we're quite self deprecating and we don't say things out loud too much. And, um, it's a, it's a very different kind of way to look at the world. I'm quite aware of it with my kids because I don't want to be too over the top, but I don't want to be too British about it either. <laughs> <Too British. laughs> yeah. It's yeah. A- because you never praise anything then.
0: Yeah, I get it. It's so funny you say that. I, um, you know, I've been in the US long enough now and, you know, obviously married to Laura and and I, I've become a bit more Americanized in that same sort of sense where we tend to be a bit, a bit more, we'll recognize others and we'll let them know and it's the positivity without being, I don't like being over positive, but we'll certainly not allow others to be too low for too long. So like, let's at least get them back to neutral, you know. Yeah, it, uh, it's, I think it's, that
1: was really good with Siri and I because I was the British glass half empty, and she was the American glass full, and <laughs> it met in the middle really well. That's
0: awesome. I love that. Now tell me about your coaching that you're doing now, and I, uh, James, and yourself are working together with with coaching both professionals and amateurs. Is that
1: yeah? So I, whilst I. What I really want to do is I want to coach a squad on pool side um, <laughs> and on the bike and on track side because I want to be there I come from this these amazing coaches that were there and read body language and respond to body li- language on a daily basis and I'm quite good at it mm. but in my current situation um, we only emigrated a year ago we're in this place that we don't really know that well. Um, We've entered back into the British system that we were away from. We we lived in South Africa for 10 years. So it's all very new. Mm. And um, time-wise, it's just not feasible um, for me.
0: I don't know how you do. I don't know how you do. When I saw that you were coaching and I looked up your website and I was like, how in the world are you coaching right now? But I mean, you can still do online coaching, but yeah. You're, you're talking about being in person, and
1: yeah. You know. So I, I coach online, and yeah. I coach. Um, so um, my my most well known pro that I coach is Jodie Stimpson, who oh, lives in Oh, I Birmingham. love Jodie!
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jodie, big shout out. I got to get you on the show. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's she's absolutely fantastic to work with, and she's just the example
0: yeah.
1: of the person that I I feel like I can help and work with. Um, someone that has all the she has absolute dedication in her process, but she's kept people keep firing or things keep firing bullets at her. And we just need to keep her on an even keel so that she can get to races and and race to her ability. Mm. But I, I, I would like to like have a squad of those people so that they can work off each other that I've had in the past. And I have, you know, I have gone for interviews with the Federation and tried to get in there to try and create a base and it's been a no so far, but I'm going to keep like working on that and trying to just knock on doors and say, I'm here. I want to help. I think I have something that can help you and just presenting it like oh, that. And sure. I, I Experience, won't back down. Matters.
0: Experience matters, matters, Jody. And, you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of these people when they go to recruit or employ and they see, they see certain things on paper and you know, send them this podcast for the next time you ask them, because I think the idea of having somebody like you on a on a team you know in a on a coaching staff or team of a program of a federation is just it's money, you know because athletes are always going to be dealing with a lot of the the things that you have and to have come from an experience base is tremendous
1: I agree, but it's it's almost like trying to sort of break the mold a little bit in terms of. You know, I've, I come into the, so I did my level two qualification, British Triathlon Federation qualification, because that covers me insurance wise and the course was good, but I kind of already knew the stuff on the course and therefore it, it comes down to getting experience on poolside with athletes. Right. And I'm in a position of, I want to learn as well. So I want to mm. increase my knowledge, but there's, about high performance sport there isn't too much knowledge I can learn except from other people that have been there and done that so they're in this situation where I'm kind of new to coaching but full of knowledge and that kind of clashes with the system a little bit because it's not developmental coaching as in qualifications tick 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 boxes it's like this weird like dilemma basically um of where to fit me and mm. I think that that's the problem with that but I do think that if I keep doing what I'm doing if I keep trying to learn if I keep asking questions of people that know more about stuff and and different methods and just keep up with research then something will come about that that will work out I I um I really I really want to get into the development of young athletes because of what happened to me but Britain, Britain have so many good athletes now that they might have sorted to all out and they don't need it. But as a female in coaching, I feel like that there's probably a space that there's somewhere I could help.
0: I, I have, I have zero doubt. In fact, you know, you got to play to your strengths and I think you've identified those. And, and I think that's fantastic. And and just in your reference to, you know, learning, it's amazing when I've had coaches like Dan Lorang and Dr. Dan Pluz on the show, both of them several times amongst others, Ryan Bolton, Siri Lindley, Lance Watson. I know I'm missing a few of these coaches, but it's been, it's been wonderful to, for me personally, to keep feeling like I'm learning, even though I was in the sport for 30 years. It's, I have these different perspectives from people and the way that they approach it um, and the style of training that they do. It, it is phenomenal that you can keep learning different ways of, of coaching people.
1: Absolutely. And those people that you've mentioned, I have listened to those podcasts yeah. and there's, they, they're very good at like concisely putting a thought and belief that you have into actual words and I love that because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, I'll find myself actually like physically nodding my head I'm listening yeah, yeah, to the I'm podcast the and running at the same time. Um but I, I love that because I do feel like although it is a podcast and it's available to everyone, um, there's stuff in there that's just so world class that you know, it's really important to listen to and learn
0: from. Yeah, I love, I love that you were telling me before the show that you've listened to quite a few of the, the episodes, and that means the world to me. That that you'd be prepared to to listen to me banter on with all of these people, but it is fantastic. I, I have a couple more questions before um, I let you go. Uh, being that you've been in and around the sport sort of for twenty two years, you know, what what are some of the the biggest sort of changes that you've seen or has the the sport changed much since you started?
1: Yeah, I mean it has changed in terms of the depth.
0: Mm. Um,
1: The depth of the competitor that's turning up at like world triathlon events, there's, there's much more depth and almost like a lot of people that can win on a given day whereas before it was quite clear who might win of about five athletes and that that depth there in the shorter distance is really good. And then the kind of focus on trying to create a spectacle of the sport um, Mm. in recent years, um, Mm. probably probed quite a lot by Chris McCormack and (laughs) (laughs) the Super League, but someone's got to do it, you know, because it is brilliant to watch and the arena games um, hit the highlights. Um, during COVID, but I do think that there's probably something to push on with that too—the um, development of this PTO, um, the PTO races, yeah, and yeah. the money coming in. I think there's a lot more money in the sport than from when I was doing it, mm. but it's not something I regret at all. No, um, no, i it's love, great.
0: It's great. You want to yeah. you want to see professional sport take off. Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
1: and and they definitely deserve it. Yeah, and I I do think that it it therefore comes back to the quality of coaching and the quality of performance. Because if there's more money going in, it's not about more dedication, but it's more provision.
0: Mm-hmm. If you look
1: at certain federations who play our money into um, the sport, it's not necessarily that they're training harder, but they might be training smarter. Mm-hmm. I like to see that. And and just, uh, I also, <laughs> it's probably because I'm an old woman, but I do like to see the, <laughs> the, the ego of the youngsters nowadays that's just so so fresh um they're not uh, quite a lot of them are not scared to say exactly what they want to do mm. um i think in my day I, I remember a a media training program with the british triathlon federation when i was like so it's the commonwealth 2002 qualifiers and the, a video came up to me and they asked me how did they think i was going to do and i said i think i'm going to win and then later on that video was used in the media training um saying don't ever say this
0: really um
1: yes it was we've shown like yes Um, (laughs) this is not what you should say when you're interviewed before a race it comes off badly you know it can go to pot and they said uh, and they said it to me at the time and I just thought but I did win it (laughs) (laughs) But now it's reversed. You're yeah, allowed to say stuff now like it's that. it's completely
0: it? reversed. When, when you look at a lot of the characters, you're right. It's completely changed. And, and I, I'm like you. I grew up in a time where, you know, well, you don't, you don't do that. You don't talk about yourself and you don't self-promote like that. And it was kind of frowned upon. And now it's like you see these athletes on Instagram and YouTube and everything else. I'm going to be the greatest. You're like, Wow. Really, yeah, really it's, I mean, it's that.
1: hard. I think it's definitely hard for females to do um, mm. and not come across with negative connotations because of society. But the male stuff that goes on is fun, I, I, I think. And just as a bystander that's not actually invested too heavily in mm. the mm. whole boxing, boxing match, um, wrestling match banter, I actually find it quite interesting. Oh, it's
0: wonderful. Uh, look, a, a little bit of my old style old man cynical looks at it sometimes i like shut up but at the same time I find myself watching it and then I go that actually was really quite entertaining you know yeah. and then I get to know all of them and I really oh they're just they're wonderful people that are playing the game and it's it's just a different way of doing it but I've enjoyed it like you um and and I also want to have a big shout out to um Chris McCormack, because I think he is, you know, when you look at the sub seven, sub eight that he did for, you know, how fast can you go in an Ironman type thing? I thought that was fun. The arena games, Super League. Um, And then obviously, like you said, the PTO and everything they're trying to do. I think it's fantastic. And you still have Ironman and challenge and clash endurance and all events around the world. So there's plenty of racing options out there. And of course, I forgot the big one the ITU and the, the World Triathlon Series, which is. Unbelievable. So yeah, I think there's so
1: many opportunities and avenues for, for different strengths to go down, and therefore yeah. make their careers in that in that in that way. And I'm not sure that was always the case. In maybe in your generation, which was slightly before mine, I think there was mm. a bit more of that, um, and then it kind of dulled down. There
0: was a little void from about yeah 2009 to 20 yeah 17, almost like a
1: basically when I was good. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but you were good at the, there wasn't many races, but you were still winning the races that were there and they were all the Ironmans and the big Ironmans and yeah. the, the world championships. So that means you were exceptional. I think the what we're saying now is like, there's a couple more layers. So if you're not winning Kona right now, you can still be winning a PTO championship or a challenge event or, a, you know, the WTS events. Or if you're really not in WTS and you're more of a super league, like there's just so many layers yeah, now. You
1: can specialize and to you your really strength.
0: Can, you really can. I And I think that's fantastic. Well, Jody, what what's next for you? What, what's going on? What's um, on the horizon here?
1: So I am trying to, Build the business. I would like my husband to join me eventually. He is currently a um, a broadcaster. On um, he works full time for Global Tri- uh, Triathlon Network. Oh, does so he? he? Oh, is he GT? Yeah, oh, good man. So, yeah, but I'd like him to join me on the on the coaching barracks one day. Yeah, and and it is a gradual process, and I understand that despite my impatient attitude. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, into I've decided to enter a little trail race um, in about three week's time which is 100k which is quite (laughs) a small race you know just just take it easy
0: in three weeks time did you say
1: yeah so I decided to do it five weeks ago on holiday having listened to your podcast about dopamine and I came back and I thought James is pretty down and I'm a bit bored I'm just bored of running 10k every day so let's find something to do um, and get a dopamine hit that we're lacking dopamine hit (laughs) Yeah. I don't think we're going to get it from 100k race. But the real reason why I picked it is because I have to be out all day. Someone else must have to look after the kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to
1: have to take the whole day to do it. I'm going to be running all day and it's near our house. It finishes fairly near. So um, it starts out in Oxfordshire um, and you sort of run across the country and, and finish down near, it's called Race to the Stones. So it's this kind of medieval it's oh. not Stonehenge but it's like Stonehenge That's
0: so you're wonderful. racing to something That's
1: um wonderful. yeah it sounds wonderful doesn't it you know, but it sounds
0: it so wonderful on paper and talking yeah. about it
1: <laughs> and then you run 25k and you're like oh my goodness I've got 75% to yeah.
0: do you look after yourself Jody. that does become mm. a that does become a very long day out although <laughs> it's like you said I, I get to have a day away from the kids and I don't know, just stop and meditate for half an hour and then enjoy, enjoy having that moment all to yourself, I guess, you know. And you do that with James? Well,
1: he says he's going to do it with me, but we'll probably have an argument at about 30K. I can predict that now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, about me not eating or something. Yeah, um, the fatigue
0: gets in and everyone's got a stronger opinions than they should.
1: But um. on paper, as you say, on paper, in theory... Um, I've got these mental strategies to employ. I've got, like, I'm going to think about each one of my athletes every 10K. So, like, dedicate a 10K to those people and see if I can do it. Um, And if I don't do it, then I obviously don't care about one of them enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I love talking to you now and and coming from you know, everything that you've been through in your in your in your career and, and your life and, and the different perspective you have and expectations and all of it. And it's just kinda of like, no, I'm gonna go out there and just see how we go. That must feel almost refreshing to you to just approach it a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, it does. It does feel refreshing. Um and it feels refreshing not to be um so I I whilst, whilst James was still racing and I was having babies I was quite jealous Mm. Um, and I didn't watch triathlon at all I didn't want any part of it I I don't even think I watched Kona so the twins were born and he raced Kona four weeks after I mean, I could have watched it. I was up all night.
0: Yeah, I bet.
1: (laughs) I almost had this, like, repellent period where I just didn't want anything to do with it. It was, like, not me. That's not me anymore. Mm. And then to, to actually, like, come back and just absolutely love it, like, be a real fangirl, I... It's so different, and listening like to the personalities of sport and learning about people is something that I didn't really spend time doing while I was while I was in it, and I wish I had. Hmm. But I, I do think that these are things that add to your sort of education and your knowledge about the sport, and maybe that 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 timeline is just right for me right now to do that now, and it wasn't then.
0: Um, exactly, it, it wasn't. It, it yeah. wasn't at the right time. I, I, I forgot to mention. I have also thoroughly enjoyed, you know. I haven't been through all of them, but all of your answers on any question, Um, and I love the fact that you're out there on your walk, runs, or or whatever, answering questions. Um, And for everybody listening, they got to go check check them out because I think you've got about 140 answers on there now, which is just phenomenal. Um, Yeah, really great
1: feature. What's that? They
0: all feature walking the dog. They all do. I love that. And that's, that's kind of what we wanted when we built any question. It was kind of like, we just want to make it easy. We want to make it easy for our experts to be able to share their knowledge. And I think when you're out there walking the dogs, it's just absolutely fantastic. But um, Jody, this has been, this has just been really fantastic just to catch up and have a conversation and go through your career. And that, that went really quick, by the way. When I look down, I'm like, we've been talking for an hour ten and it was like, that was just so fun. I I hope you enjoyed it as well, but I I truly enjoyed having you on.
1: No, it was really good fun, Greg. Um, It's really easy to forget, like, the long history Mm. of friendships and and in the sport as well, and it's really nice to just relive it for a couple
0: of hours sometimes. Of course. Well, this has been fantastic. So thank you again, Um, you know, coming on and just sharing your journey and just... Like I said earlier, just being so authentic and open and willing to share, it really means the world to me and and everybody listening, so thank you.
1: Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And everybody listening, you can check out the show notes and timestamps and links and coupon codes and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page, or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.